Welcome to SpotCast, your single point of contact podcast for the service management and support industry, brought to you by HDI. Smarter service, better business, HDI. On the web at thinkhdi.com. I'm your host for SpotCast, Roy Atkinson. Episode 22 of SpotCast is an interview with Deborah Monroe. Deborah is a master EQ practitioner an associate with the Institute for Organizational Performance, and an HDI business associate. Working with all levels of executive leadership, management, and individual contributors, Deborah concentrates on integrating humans and processes to create balanced working environments. Her aim is to build understanding and empathy, creating a positive bottom line through employee and customer retention. Hello, Deborah. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Roy. It is also a pleasure to be here. Your session at Service Management World has an intriguing and somewhat amusing title. (laughs) If it weren't for these freaking people, and the subtitle is A Deep Dive into the Pool of Relationships, and I think that all of us at one point or another have said, if it weren't for these freaking people, or some (laughs) variation of that. Uh, what will people learn in this session, and why is it important? Well, obviously, that's a fantastic question, Roy. We were just uh, being amused that this title is so powerful. And I think one of the things that draws people to a session is the title, because if they can relate to it, then they have a feeling they're going to get something out of it. And with all of my work, with all the things that I do, everything comes out of an experience. And so I have gotten to the point where I have said these things, if it weren't for these freaking people. But I need to understand what drives them to act the way that they do so that I can better handle it and build relationship as opposed to tear relationship down. So what we're going to learn in this session is what drives people to behave in an unseemly way. And then we can identify what is it that they're really saying beyond their behavior, beyond the emotion that they're expressing. What is it that they're really saying? What is it that they really need? And if I can identify that, I can then change the way that they're acting because I'm going to be able to fulfill the need they have. And that's what we're going to learn in this particular session, how to look beyond the behavior and how to look beyond the emotion to find out what is it that this person is saying. In a a leadership role, you have a responsibility right? This is not what you get paid for. You get paid to manage a job. But in a leadership role, there's a a maturity and a wisdom and a moment where you just, you shut up and you listen. Because if you can listen and hear what is happening with that person and not judge the situation, not judge the behavior, you're going to learn so much more than if you had jumped to a conclusion and made a decision about that person. And that's not going to serve you well in a leadership position. You need to shut up 
and listen. And in doing so, we find if, if we're using deep listening and whole body listening, we're listening to micro and subtle expressions of the face, we're listening to body language, we learn how to read that stuff because those things come from a different part of the brain that does not lie. And if we become professional and accurate with that, you will know more than anybody else in the room. And that will be able, uh, that will enable you to make decisions that are smarter and wiser. And it's all about the listening. You used the phrase there that intrigues me. You, you mentioned whole body listening. Yes. Tell, tell me, I might have a little bit of an idea what that's about, but why don't you tell me about it? So I coined the phrase many years ago, and it goes beyond active listening. It goes beyond empathetic listening, and it goes beyond deep listening. Deep listening is where we listen not only for the fact and the task and not only for the emotion that's happening, but we also listen for the underlying need. In whole body listening, we're listening for all of those things, plus we are looking at being able to professionally read the micro and subtle expressions of the face the body language that that person is portraying. You see, all those things that come from the body come from the limbic part of your brain, the amygdala, where your emotion is stored. And in doing so, your body becomes a blank canvas that just simply reveals what's happening to you in that area of your life, the emotion. The, the memories, the pain, the betrayals, it all shows up on your body and it shows up in your face. And as a professional, I have spent the time and the money and the years learning how to read these things in other people. And it has served me well with what I do outside of HDI. So if I'm coaching an executive on site, I shadow him or her for a week and I watch what happens on his body and what happens to the tone in his voice while he's in the meetings or she is in the meetings with his or her staff. And then I watch how they react to them and I get a truer picture of what's happening in that whole environment by just sitting back and watching, listening whole body wise than I do with somebody telling me what they think is going on. So it's the absolute truth of what is happening in a situation. Does that help explain it more, Roy? It, it does. It, thank you for that. And, and I think that our listeners will appreciate that too. Um, and, and I think that maybe one of the things that people who are in positions, as you said, the job is management, but the task is leading would say is that I, I don't have a lot of time to do this. How do I train myself to be able to do this effectively within the time that I have available to listen to somebody and, and probably get a better idea of what's going on? Well, as in anything, we have to make time. I mean, what's important to you is being able to understand what is driving your people 
so that you can build relationship with them and get efficiency and effectiveness and, and buy-in from them? Or do you just, you know, want to tell them what to do and parent them in the environment, which you're just going to end up with a bunch of teenagers who, when you go on vacation, they're just going to, you know, the cats away, the mice will play. So what is it that you want to build? And then we need to make sure that we are supporting that in the things that we learn. Lifelong learning is important. So in this particular thing, it's really easy. There's a couple of people out there. There's a couple of TV shows out there. Everybody wants to binge watch Netflix every now and then or Amazon. So Let's say with the whole body listening, one of the shows that you can look at is called Lie to Me with Tim Roth, Four Seasons. And that show displays a uh, DC consultant who is a human lie detector who reads micro and subtle expressions of the face. But they tie it in with real life stuff that is happening in our politics and, and in our news. But that show was based upon a professor out of Stanford University whose life's work is to go around the world and see how emotion shows up on people's face. And that professor's name is Paul Ekman, E-C-K-M-A-N. And he has a whole program. He has books out on how to read these micro and subtle expressions of the face. So you can start with a TV show. You can go with a training video that he has. I think when I did the training video, he pre-tested my knowledge at like 43%. 20 minutes later, he post-tested me. I had a recognition rate of 85%. And that was, what, 10, 15 years ago. He's able to teach you in such a quick way. That's going to change your life. So EQ and maybe you can explain a little bit about what we mean by EQ. It's been getting more press over the last couple of years or so. Why has this come to the forefront now, do you think? And again, why is it important for people to be aware of it and maybe learn more about it? Oh, that is a loaded question, Roy. <laughs> That's a loaded question. By best comment. So Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we're used to hearing EQ or emotional intelligence spoken up of as warm and fuzzy and uh, soft skills. There is nothing soft about emotional intelligence. And the reason that they did call it soft skills is because they didn't think they could measure it. But over the years, we've become quite adept at being able to measure Roy's intrinsic ability to be empathetic. I can actually measure your empathy and very accurately. I can measure your optimism. I can measure the way that you assess yourself in terms of how you see yourself versus how the world sees you. It's become important because people don't want to be parented in the workplace anymore. Meaning command and control the way that it used to be up until the, I want to say mid nineties, 
uh, late 90s does not work in our environment anymore. We are adults. We want responsibility. We want trust. We want to be given the leeway and the freedom to do what we do best. And with leaders who are micromanagers, who are afraid, who are insecure, who are afraid of conflict and will lower morale by not doing anything, that stuff has to stop. And we have a way to make it stop. You know, it was really interesting. Harvard did a 30-year study of people who were successful in their fields. And they found that people who had a high IQ, it determined their success only 6 to 9% of the time. And yet... People who had even higher IQs, the higher the IQ, the lower it determined their success. You can't change your IQ. It stops growing at the age of 16. And then they did a study with people who had higher uh, educations, like doctorates and postdoctorates. That determined their success the same amount, only 6 to 9% of the time. But people who measured a high emotional quotient, EQ, that determined their success 40 plus percent of the time. There's that connectivity, that that fairness, that listening, that getting in there with the troops and making decisions together that builds something that just someone with a high IQ or a high education can't doesn't can't seem to do. Have you ever had that experience yourself, Roy? Yes, absolutely so. I I think that there are people that I've met in my life that might have very little education, not particularly book smart or street smart or anything smart, but who have an ability to recognize what's going on with people. Mm-hmm. And and how they need to respond to that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get that. Absolutely. So if you need it and I need it, so do most people. And we like to we like to work in a fair environment. We like, you know, give me a boss who will let me get my job done and do it right. Of course, if there's things that I need to improve, I'm open to hearing. But I can't do that if I have a manager or a leader who is not emotionally intelligent, who's not self-aware, because self-awareness is the key to all emotional intelligence. It's me understanding myself and how I react in different situations and how I need to learn how not to react, but to respond to very, very different things going on there, mm-hmm. Re- reacting and responding. Absolutely. So we can become more educated about this. Obviously, you have done a great deal in that regard, and you're a master EQ practitioner. Yes, sir. And, and there's not many of those on the planet. Can you, can you explain how you came to that and how you were educated? <laughs> well, As in anything, as I mentioned, it always starts in pain. All of our learning, you know, all of the successes that we have, 
seem to begin in, in a very painful environment. And if we look at that painful environment and say, what can I learn here? What can I do with this? And how can I change the world so nobody else has to deal with this? Uh, that seems to be where I always start from. I was working in Danbury, Connecticut uh, at one of the first online uh, learning environments in the United States. And we're going to go back here to before I needed Botox. So we're going back to the 1990s. And the CEO and the COO ended up getting into fisticuffs and spitting on each other. It was a very toxic work environment. Emotional Intelligence, uh, the book from Dan Goleman, had just come out about two or three years earlier, and I absorbed it. I said, what is it that I can do so that I don't have to experience this anymore? How can I take this bitterness of this experience and make myself better and teach others how to make it better as well? And so I found several organizations. Of course, we were in the, the baby part of emotional intelligence back then, where the research was there, but there was nobody to bring the research in as a practitioner so that people could translate that into, okay, how do I do this? That's what a practitioner does. They say, okay, this is the science, but this is how we actually apply it. And this is how we live it. And I found the global community, Six Seconds, and they had just begun to do a uh, kind of an intro to emotional intelligence for practitioners. And I went, I dedicated my time to it, and I said, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was thinking that would help me be the spokesperson, I guess, in these very difficult situations. And then it went from there to a second level. And then we were part of the first master practitioner class that had been given. And it was a year long program uh, with lots of projects in between to really delve deep into how do we re-deliver this to the masses. And it was, I guess it's just a passion project. You find something that fills the gap and helps you heal. You want to watch other people heal as well. It changed my life, Roy. And more importantly, wait a minute, it, it changed the way I did business and it changed the way I interacted with humans. Fascinating stuff. So it came right out of that toxic environment. And it, it, isn't it interesting what we learn from being in bad places? Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. right. So we're currently on the verge of a new world of work uh, where algorithms and bots are doing at least some of the work that we usually do and we become accustomed to doing. What's the impact of human plus machine? What impact will that have on the importance of EQ? Mm. Well, this is something I chew on at night <laughs> and I've been chewing on it since 1995. And this is before 
you know, AI really made it out there to uh, the masses and we really began to adopt it. And I'll tell you why I've been thinking about it since 1995. There's a company in Westchester, New York, way back then, called Advanced Networking Services, uh, run by a guy named Al Weiss and uh, Jaron Lanier was one of the scientists that worked there. And uh, Jaron is quite a character. Uh, he's written a book called um, uh, You Are Not a Gadget. So he, he was a child prodigy who came up with virtual reality. He actually coined that term. So back in 1995, these two are working on something called the Tele-Immersion Initiative, where you, Roy, are in California, I'm in New York, uh, we put on our technology, we, or we swallow our technology, whatever that is, and we enter a room, a virtual room, where I can see you, you can see me, I can hear you, you can hear me. The difference is, Roy, that I can touch you and you can feel me through the science of haptics. Now, they've actually made this work, but at the time they were doing this back in 1995, there wasn't enough bandwidth, so they started working on Internet 2 flexible bandwidth. But when I first heard about this topic, I was terrified. It changed me for three months because I was thinking, you know what, a human's brain doesn't know the difference between a real situation and a perceived situation. So whatever this person experiences in this virtual world, their brain is going to think that it actually happened. And all of their responses, all post-traumatic stress, everything is going to relate to that experience as if it had actually physically happened. So with that and me looking at this uh, artificial intelligence and these bots trying to act as human beings, well, the brain doesn't know the difference. So we're not going to know if it's a bot. It's, we're just not going to know. It could be a human being or not. It depends on how we program it and are we going to consider that that's a really important aspect to program into it or not. I mean, what have you seen? Actually, one of the things that I've seen is that, uh, and this came up in a roundtable that I was just involved in when I was in Japan, what makes people react badly to chatbots and, and, and AI-assisted bots and so forth. And my perspective is that I and most of the people that I've talked to about it would rather have the bot acknowledge that it's a bot uh, than try to masquerade as a human. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's right into what you're talking about, how at least, oh, okay, it's a bot. I, can, I have a place to put that in my brain. I can accept it as being a virtual interaction, not a real one. But if I'm pulled into interacting with this entity as if it's a real uh, as if it's a real person and, and experiencing it in a different way, uh, maybe I'll have a problem processing that later on. And I mm -hmm. think there's there's been some some 
theatrical work around this too with some some of the movies that have come out uh, basically exploring the relationships between people and artificial intelligence there's one called she mm-hmm. um and ex machina and yep. it's it's a very interesting topic and it I think it's important for us to understand it because one of the things that I've been talking about for the last couple of years is the the, the skills that we're going to have to have in order to work in this mixed environment of AI and automation and people and one of them is going to be this the skills in in understanding how to work with the technology that's coming out and we may not always know whether it's human or not. So uh-huh. fascinating topic. We could talk about this for the rest of the day, I'm sure. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And it, it can be scary because we don't know how it's going to evolve and what is it going to make us feel like. Uh, if you, you've heard Maya Angelou's thing, it's, we, do, we rarely remember what people say. We always remember how they made us feel. So are these things going to make us feel appreciated? Are they going to make us feel listened to? Are they going to make us feel like we're valuable? Or, you know, what's the end game here with the AI and the bots? What's the end game? Do we want to be replaced? And I think that it's telling that the most famous phrase spoken by any uh, AI fictional AI in a movie begins with an apology. (laughs) I'm sorry, Dave. (laughs) I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we have that reference from a long time ago, don't we? And that has stayed with us for a very long time as we had to watch technology overturn and overrun many different parts of who we are as human. So again, I say, what is the end game? What do we really want it to do? And can we control it? Or is it going to end up controlling us? Right. That's the big question. And I I think no one yet knows the answer, but uh, there we are. Mm -hmm. So, so if leaders want to be, to have a better understanding of EQ and want to educate themselves about it, aside from going to your session at Service Management World, <laughs> where should they start? What's the road that they should begin to explore? And again, that's a wonderfully loaded question. My encouragement and something that I have found absolutely invaluable in my own life is to have an assessment done of my own or your own emotional intelligence. They're not that expensive. And I'm not talking about the freebies online. Uh, There's individual ones, self-assessments that I can take that are uh, relatively inexpensive, not the free ones you can just Google. And then there's 360s, which I think are much, much more invaluable They're done by, I don't know, 14 or 15 different people in your life, from your manager to your peers to your direct reports, your family, your friends, um, people that you used to work with back in the day. And it gives you a true picture 
of how you see yourself versus how other people see you in 11 or 12 different competencies. We should never be afraid to have that feedback, especially if we are truly on this path to leadership on a daily basis, and it is worth it. Well, isn't that a spectacular place to bring our too short conversation to a close? But I certainly look forward to seeing you at Service Management World, Deb, and I really appreciate your being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Roy, for the opportunity, and I can't wait to see you with a gigantic hug either. Thank you for listening. For more about HDI, visit us on the web at thinkhdi.com and see Support World for great content. I'm Roy Atkinson, your host for Spotcast. Until next time, take care.